This is Stories of Salem, a new broadcast from CC Media's Community News Desk. I'm your host, Megan Jonas, reporting with my co-host, Ashley Jackson-Lawrence. Today we're covering Safety Compass, a local nonprofit that provides support services for survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation across Marion, Clackamas, and Washington counties. Keep listening to hear how advocates, including Safety Compass founder and CEO, Esther Nelson Garrett, and Marion County Human Trafficking Task Force lead, Claire Vogelsang, work to create futures of safety and extend relentless hope for survivors. My name's Esther um, Nelson Garrett, um, and I am the founder of Safety Compass. I've been an advocate for, I think it'll be 19 years in May, and I started out as a sexual assault victims advocate. I actually started as a volunteer. It was my calling. Like, I was just in the right place. My name is Claire Vogelsang. Uh, so I am currently the Marion County Human Trafficking Task Force Coordinator. Prior to this, I had experience working with survivors of DV, as well as low-income families providing resources and support. And then I did an internship in Ecuador working with survivors of trafficking specifically in a long-term aftercare home. That was a really incredible and both eye-opening experience. And it was one of those things where the more I learned, the more I felt compelled and that this was like my area that I was supposed to be in. And so I originally came to Safety Compass as a volunteer and then was gifted the opportunity to join the staff. Safety Compass was founded formally in 2016. It had been grassroots to, since 2014. We volunteered basically on the side of our jobs to do this pilot project with our partnerships. And it was very, I want to say successful in that we found a lot of people who are survivors of this crime and by interventions with them really the trajectory of their life and safety really changed and so we knew we were on to something it became evident that there was a need a gap, a gap in services for trafficking survivors and so we founded with the idea of just doing that becoming a bridge into existing services and referring in and also filling that gap i founded safety compass with the whole goal of well, you know, I can't impact the whole state of Oregon or the whole world, but I can start in my town. So our mission is to serve commercial sexual exploitation and sex trafficking survivors in the Willamette Valley region. So we cover four counties. Uh, we also do technical assistance for like law enforcement, juvenile justice, emergency room staff and child welfare. So like the professional partners that most often call us out. Um, and that technical assistance actually at this point kind of rages, um, you know, we've been training all over the West Coast for the last probably five years. We are what we consider the first call or the front end of the continuum of care. We are not all the things, it's not all about us, but we wanna have one very clear place to start so that all the professionals, maybe they have no training, they've just heard a little awareness out there, know who, the, who they can call if they think they've found a trafficking survivor. And so we have this 24 hour call out team. They can get us within one hour of a call out anywhere on scene, in person, uh, you know, one hour of a call and we'll go to any police department, you know, ER, out into the scene with child welfare, uh, to the juvenile department, um, 24 hours a day. So that's like the focus of our program. But we have found that when we build those relationships and that rapport with people in crisis, there's a, there's a lot of trust in, in us and that our word is, is trustworthy. And so we just want to honor that um, well, and so we, our job as an advocate at that time is making referrals into emergency housing and getting people safe and going with them to court or to their detective interview. Uh, but once we help bridge them into all those additional services, and that's really very specific to their needs. So every plan's unique, you know? 
But once they're there, we try to create some sense of continuity so that there is um, ongoing support for them. It's not like they just meet us and then that's like the last time they ever see us. So in our case management, it's, it's all about resource and connection, but we eventually bridge them into our third phase of programming, which is called the community phase. And in community, we do um, quarterly events, which are just opportunities for joy, and then um, like some level of support group. So the piece there about you get the support group piece, we have this emotional support that's ongoing, and they can be in the community phase forever. We never close services. Um, but you also get this time period where you're coming back. There's nothing traumatic that we have to talk about. We, you know, we just get to be people, right? And eat a meal together and have fun. And like life is life beyond the trauma, you know? And we've had people in the community phase who we've known like for like going on 15 years who still come back to our groups. Human trafficking, it looks like a variety of different things, but what it typically does not look like is the movie Taken. I think that's what comes first to most people's minds. Um, but the reality is um, we're not talking about you know, women and children that are being chained in a basement. You know, not to say that it can't happen that way and that it doesn't sometimes happen, but the majority of time it is a lot more subtle, at least from the outside eye. There's also commercial sexual exploitation, which is the exchange of a sexual act for anything of value, which doesn't necessarily mean money. It could be a place to stay, whatever that person maybe needs, they're in a vulnerable position. So someone takes advantage of that. And that is still by definition, commercial sexual exploitation, even if there isn't that like third party involved. It doesn't mean it's never happened that you shouldn't be paying attention to your children in a parking lot or, you know, concerned about your safety. If you're traveling somewhere, you don't really know the area, you should always be aware of it. But <laughs> these are all again, things that like put all the pressure on the potential victim, right? Survivor hopefully, and then not none of it on like the offender or the dynamics in the community that relate to that person. And so one, it's like a shift of the focus in the wrong direction, but it's also seems like so sensational that, you know, if your kid's not getting abducted in the parking lot where you focus all your attention and not in the basement or they're on vacation somewhere, then you're like, oh, cool, I'm safe. And like, that's just been a huge disservice to parents because uh, what you need to actually think about is who are my kids' friends? Who's hanging out with them? Who seems like a potential romantic partner? Uh, and that's where, because that's what it's gonna start looking like at the beginning, that's where we should be focusing our time. You know, statistically speaking, I would be much more worried about grab your kid's phone and wonder <laughs> who they're talking to right now on their phone <laughs> than some random parking lot. So um, I think that's important to convey too. It's not somewhere else. It's not somebody else's problem. It doesn't happen only in the big city. It doesn't happen only like this or like that. Um, it's in every, we can tell you for sure, not just like we read in a movie. We're telling you we actually have the referrals. Every single little community and big city in the state, and there's no reason why if that's true so um, across the board in Oregon, why it's not true in every little town and neighborhood and big city in every state, right? These are the stats just from April of 2018 um, to October of this last year. So total in Marion County, we had 306 survivors that we served, um, which 143 of those were adults, 146 were minors, and 17 were anonymous. Um, and then that came out to over 8,000 8, service encounters um, between all of those, as well as our crisis line. Um, 
So the service encounters versus person is we track things differently. So we know that that's how many individual people we served in Marion County alone, whereas it was like 1,100 in all of our counties combined. But that 8,000 contacts, or you know, in the whole organization, 27,000 contacts is all that follow up. So for every, what it indicates is for every person that we meet and we work with, we work with them a lot. You know, it's not just like that one time meeting and here's a business card, but a lot of follow up. We come in really like no preconceived notions, no no judgment, obviously. We don't have to talk about the trauma. We just want to know who they are. And so we come in from this place of very relational, like I just care about who you are. Not even like what you've been up to, but more like who you are. You know, that's the coolest part I think is, I call you because I just care about how your day is going. I don't have to log your mental health hour or I don't know, pre present my findings to a judge. I just call you because I care about you, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. We're this one beacon that hopefully gets to follow them because we aren't the criminal justice system, right? So if they're not engaged, no big deal, we're still following them. Uh, if they are going into emergency housing, still following them, into jail, still following. So like, all, it's an at-will service, but we will follow them anywhere. And then our ongoing support is just, it can ramp up from the very beginning, which is like daily, sometimes like 24 hours a day, we'll get them an emergency hotel room, we'll bring them food, we'll bring them clothing, we'll go with them to court, it's very intensive. And then as it starts to like simmer down, make those referrals into mental health care, long-term housing, and then just be a person that just stays because we don't have an agenda connected to a system, we just care about who they are. Like I founded Safety Compass because that's a that's my own story, um, and I don't go into that tone. But work, but I always will tell kids like that is me, right? You can be. It's not an indicator of your own intellect or savvy. You're not naive or duped if you find yourself in an unsafe situation. I think there's a lot of internalized victim blaming that can happen. Like, what did I do wrong? How did I get here? Well, it's only unsafe because an unsafe person came along, right? It's never your fault. And I think it's like important to note too that like with the criminal justice system and with, you know, this kind of like forced criminality that so many trafficking survivors face, we do often, you know, have youth that we're meeting with in correctional facilities or while they're in detention. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different pieces and it's a lot more nuanced than a, a lot of people realize. We always say that the sex industry is the epicenter of all oppressions and and all oppressions combined equaled the sex industry, right? And so there you will find sexism, racism, homophobia, ageism, classism, like you name it, it's all there. For every kid we find, and let's just say we serve about 350 people a year, if you look at what's going on for them and the loss to our communities, not only of that child and all the future good that they could do if they were safe and free, but um, their family, the impact with their family, their their children or their p p possible potential children, um, their their education or lack thereof as they get pulled out of the educational system, their future productivity as they maybe do or can't even work um, through disability and traumatic brain injury and lack of education and things that come from the industry. I don't know how to quantify the cost to our communities. I was also just thinking about the fact that like, the media doesn't often tell the stories of those who are most vulnerable, whereas, you know, trafficking is an issue that mostly impacts those who are vulnerable. Uh, I mean, it impacts everyone, but it targets those who are most vulnerable. Um, and so when you see a, a story in the news, you often will maybe hear about like a white, like middle class, you know, 
girl who was like abducted or something and that's like the only story that you hear um you don't hear about the indigenous girl who has experienced a life of maybe like mm-hmm. trauma and you know various sexual assaults or whatever else who then was targeted or boy yeah or, or, or yes like, right, that's like yeah the more exactly. you want to go into the vulnerability factors yeah. in our community and who's, right. who's got the power and who doesn't um, mm-hmm. who's being overlooked because if it's mm-hmm. silent then no one's looking like yeah exactly yeah. yeah and and going off that as well like you know, so often we are working with youth who are um, homeless, at least for a time, or who become homeless because they run away from an unsafe situation and then become exploited um, because of that vulnerability. And, you know, that it's even higher likelihood if they are a trans youth um, and you just add on any level of risk factor, any ism, you know, and it all intersects. Um, so focusing on you know those stories um yeah and just elevating their voices mm-hmm. with the youth in particular who we're often seeing you know some big red flags or indicators can be you know having two cell phones or you know suddenly they have this um, new like boyfriend in their life and along with that you're seeing these changes happen they start to maybe wear a more sexualized attire that's not Um, appropriate for the weather um, or maybe it's a teenager where suddenly you know their nails are always done with acrylics and they're getting their hair done and they have all these things that you're like okay we know that that's a lot of money and like where is that money coming from Um, or just having you know large amounts of like cash on them or like a hotel key card of course would be like an obvious one we have to talk to our kids about things that are unfortunately far too adult for them And I'm a parent, that grieves me. My kids shouldn't have to know about these things, but they're going to be exposed to them. It's not if, it is when. And so I think when I talk to my kids and when we teach in schools and things, we're not teaching kids about human trafficking. We can mention it, but that trafficker is not gonna show up like, oh, hey, I'm a trafficker. That does kids no good because nobody's nobody's saying that about themselves. They're gonna show up like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you know, probably a romantic interest, but it could be under all kinds of different false pretenses. And so what does my kids um, a service in terms of preventative work or even intervention work is talking about what do healthy relationships and healthy boundaries look like because all unsafe people eventually will push your boundaries. And it's not just sex trafficking. But that ultimately will unlock the, oh, that seems uncomfortable. That person didn't respect that about the situation when it is a trafficker who won't tell you they're a trafficker. And so we talk about healthy boundary navigation, creating them for yourself, honoring them in a society that doesn't honor them for children, trying to pull apart the sexuality from money making and and go to like a deeper relational level, which no imagery is helping our children. We're in a very pornified Um, superficial culture and so uh, if we're talking about those things with our our kids I think that's preventative work Um, because at this point if you have access to a smartphone like Claire's saying then you are at risk and so it's everywhere it's so hard for a lot of teenagers in particular because there is so much shame and stigma associated Um, and that's why it is so important that you know parents and other safe adults don't ever shame or cast judgment um but instead they come with open you know ears and open hearts um and truly want to know how to 
support their child and make them um, or make sure that they're safe, right? Um, so talk to your trusted adult. Um, and if there are no trusted adults, then call us. Call us, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because we 100% will um, talk to them and support them. Um, and, you know, if nothing else, be a listening ear um, and safety plan with them. You don't have to know what to call it if it didn't feel like it was okay or you're in a situation that just feels like it makes you uncomfortable. Um, we would always rather, and we're not, you know, we're the local anti-trafficking organization, but you could call like one of the national hotlines, the national domestic violence hotline, the national sexual assault hotline, um, if you're elsewhere, not in this community, and talk to any advocate who's going to remind you of the same things, which is like, if that was, if, if that was unsafe, if something happened, it wasn't your fault, right? Um, that you are believed, and if you're not finding people in your own life that will believe you, call one of call an advocate, call one of us because we will. Um, we totally trust survivors um, to discern their own situation and um, be affirmed in that reality. Um, but if it feels like something's gone wrong, trust your gut and yourself. And if someone in your life is telling you, "Oh, that's not true," or you're you're just seeing this wrong. We call that gaslighting. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're not going to tell you to run away, but find someone in your life that's not going to do that to you. And if you don't know who that person is, feel free to call us so you can get your own reality out there and have it be honored. If, if it, this is something that hits close to home for yourself or someone that you love, healing is absolutely possible. I mean, we learn more and more about that and how the body and the mind hold trauma and how it absolutely is a journey that you can move from forward from and out of and heal from um that if it's happened to you there are resources um that people will believe you and that it's not your fault that it happened like those things are there and that there's a future that doesn't have to involve like a lack of safety for you right that's possible um even though it may not sound like it um it, it is to the degree that like, it feels like it's the right fit. Like right now we don't pressure people because they know what's the safest thing for them. Um, and then I think just in the bigger picture, because like I said, there's so much money invested in harm that could be reshifted for good. And because when it comes right down to it, when we're talking about this kind of, a, kind of abuse, it truly is like, all we have to do is stop buying people, <laughs> right? right? Because of the simplicity of those things, I actually have a lot of hope. I'm dismayed that that's not the choice that we collectively are making on the regular, but I'm excited to think that that could unlock it and that the resources connected to shifting that kind of financial support could actually be a total like global changer for, I mean, the sex industry is around, you know, it's rampant around the world, not just here. Um, so I, I'm actually hopeful for those two reasons. like. We have the right ingredients to do great good if we just decide not to do great harm. <laughs> and if it's if you're a person that has survived that, that that is not the end of your story. And I'm not just saying that like in a cliche way. Like I believe that I could we couldn't do this work. I'm sure I can speak for Claire on that one. Mm -hmm. We could not do this work if we didn't not only just believe that, but actually see it happen for people. You know, at Safety Compass, if you want to volunteer, 
you know, we do take, it's a pretty intensive thing, similar to maybe you've heard of CASA or Court Appointed Special Advocates, but um, with like 52 hours of training, you, you know, like back, pass a background check, and we, we do take volunteer advocates who can actually, if you're that invested, you want to volunteer, it's like, you know, we ask for like a year commitment, and um, some people like never leave the field, so asking for years like no big deal, but I can see why that, that's not for everyone, but we always take in volunteer advocates that are interested in becoming trained. Um, we do a couple events a year, like our fancy 5K, 5K event that happens in November is like a one day event. Or you could also, you know, if you want to give, um, we take toiletry packs to people we meet with. And so we take toiletries uh, and gift cards, like food gift cards, Safeway cards, um, or, you know, even just like, hey, I want to like, I mean, even $5 is helpful. And so our on our website, which is safetycompass.org forward slash give is how you could give right there. And so there's multiple ways to be in. Uh, in touch with supporting our mission, but also, it, like you know, depending on who's watching this and where you are, look for the local domestic violence and sexual violence advocacy center in your community. Support your police department. You know, places where people are already doing this kind of work um, can impact um, this population. Talk to your kids, right? There's, you know, go go home and just talk to your children, even about how they're doing, how their day was, knowing that you're competing with someone who, if they have a smartphone is trying to lure them online like it can be it feels that simple but it can be um you know that relevant to you know the viewer's own personal life so there i think there are multiple ways to to leave here and go do something active about it we don't look at success as well how many people got out of the life the life is the sex industry right that's just a slang terminology it's more like um how long did they experience safety do they get to learn new skills during that time of safety? Do they have a better idea of what their resources are now than they did before? Knowing that this process could take a long time to navigate safely to the point where they're like, okay, now's the time. For whatever reasons, there's enough resources at play, I have enough of a safety plan, maybe you have attempted it before, I know who to trust that this is the time. And that really can take a long time for many individuals it is like a very long process of back and forth and it's not linear um it's very very rarely linear for anyone um but there have been just even in the time that i've been here like some really great successes mm -hmm. just seeing um maybe a youth who called our crisis line who was like a runaway um who like didn't you know had an extensive history of like abuse um, and you know various just traumatic experiences um, who needed a place to go um, and we were able to connect them within like 24 hours like to um, one of our partner agencies and get them housing and then um, we continued to check in and work with them and watch them just so quickly get to this stable place where they were working on school and wanting to you know start like a electrical like engineering program and like you know getting just you know mental health support and building relationships with other um, people around them so that Another thing is we don't want to be like the one sole support, right? We don't want to create another like dependency relationship, um, but instead wrap them around with other people and services that is lo like even more sustainable than our capabilities. Um, so yeah, it sometimes can be like these, you know, shorter term success stories, but sometimes it's like just holding on to each little win over the course of like years. I'm so full of success stories. I just like, I feel like I have the front row seat to like the most hopeful 
unfolding of the story of like anyone alive, you know, because they're overcoming so much. But I mean, I've sat through the prosecution of people's traffickers that took them years and years to build up like the feeling of trust to actually and bravery to just come forth and share. I had sat through people graduating from not only high school, but college while incarcerated to get out and get a stable job with a college degree and like move forward with their life. Um, people having babies and, and they're like, I, you're the person I want to be here at the hospital because there's no one safe in my whole life, right? And um, it's just the most beautiful like seats of honor in their life. Like when they, you know, some anything amazing, be it a, a job or a personal victory or, you know, something that they're just proud of. If we get to be the people that they call, I just talk about an honor. And, it actually makes me emotional. People come to our community groups, like we're talking 15 years in now. So we knew them when they were like the 15 year old kid. They're a grown adult, like midlife with a whole family now. And like they're becoming engaged in the work and maybe they're a social worker or a nurse. And like, it's just so beautiful because now they're giving back in their own ways. And so yes, we have lots of beautiful stories to tell. For more information on Safety Compass, visit safetycompass.org. Or if you or someone you love is in crisis and needs to speak to an advocate immediately, call 971-235-0021. I'm Megan Jonas from CC Media, and this is Stories of Salem. Thanks for listening in.